0: You don't need a mentor, you need a champion. You don't need someone who's going to sort of passively like mentor you. You need someone who's going to like push and push for you right? Um, into spaces where you need to be in order to, to have the growth that you want to have, to have the impact you want to have.
1: You're listening to Nourish the Risk Takers. I'm your host, Marisa Lowen. In this podcast, we explore the intricacies and complexities of asking for and receiving help. Welcome to our second uh, podcast and video cast of Nourish the Risk Takers. I'm your host, Marisa Lohan. Today I am joined by, let me make sure I don't like say your name wrong on like live broadcast, but Joa Ahern-Sarand. That's perfect. Excellent. Yeah, now, okay. Joa is an incredible member of the Catalyst. Actually... Like the founding member, it was like you're number two. You were in the door. You were like, yes, I have no idea what the catalyst is, but it sounds cool. Let me in. And uh, now you're in your second year. I can't believe we're in our second year of the catalyst, but you are an incredible member. I know that you showed up and you, I, I will never forget it. You're like, listen, I'm probably not even going to start my business until like April. Um, and then January, you were like, oh my God, we, <laughs> oh my <laughs> God, we have a business and it is uh, like, and then now you just continued to rise and keep going. And I love having you in there. And I know the other members are just they get so excited when you come in the room you can tell everyone's like joa and the 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 chat box is joa and i think that's a testament to not only how you show up in your personal life your career but just how you show up in community and how you really just give uh just openly and you're generous with your you know your Experience, your skills, your love, and you're definitely an incredible member of the Catalyst. But we are talking here today about nourishing the risk takers. Now, give us a little uh, spiel of what you do in your career. Yeah, currently I'm a career strategist
0: and I help people put together all of the pieces of their wildest dreams to make sure that they're doing something that feels aligned with who they are and what impact they want to have in the world. I love working with people who are just dedicated to impact of some sort. Um, and I've got a whole career history of of pieces that have come together to this moment. Um, my training is as a psychologist, I worked as a therapist for a number of years, I was always fascinated by meaning making how we how we make meaning of the things that are happening to us, many of which are beyond our control, some of which are within our control. Um, Fewer than we like to think usually. Uh, and um, from there, I, I moved through a space of working um, predominantly in graduate admissions, and I actually still have a company that that works in graduate admissions as well, um, which is very hand in hand with career development and career strategy, um, especially people who are applying for MBAs, professional masters. Um, they're often not applying straight out of undergrad they're often going off to the workforce to build skills, gain experience, do more refinement about what they want to do. And at a certain point, they come to a decision of wanting to get a higher degree in order to further that. Um, And so all of these skills have come together. The the career strategy is what I love. And I apply that in a number of different ways.
1: Yeah. And it's been really interesting because, in the, in the workrooms of the catalyst, we, we, we talk about your business and the growth strategy of actually like running your business. Mm-hmm. But I think it's been really interesting to see how you have really stepped into that role of activist within the career development or the employment industry. Mm-hmm. Give me a little bit of background. Like, why did you decide to be so like, cause you could just be, you know, I'm going to help you do your resume. I'm going to help you do it. But you really are very vocal in that industry. Walk me through why that came to be.
0: Yeah um I think I think the the roots are in that fascination with meaning making you know I think that there's of course always the nuts and bolts of 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 an activity whether it's something we're doing in our personal life whether it's something for career development there's nuts and bolts of formatting a resume there's nuts and bolts of structuring a cover letter if it's required there's nuts and bolts of putting together a linkedin profile but the meaning making part the part that is really near and dear to my heart is why are you doing it to what end um and that the answer to that question is what i love that's what lights me up and that's what allows me to bring a special kind of spark and energy to the work that i do with people because sometimes people have never answered that question for themselves or they've answered in a way that you can tell when it comes out of their mouth that it's like a recording of something they've heard Mm -hmm. I work with a lot of people who are right in that five to eight, eight to 10 year window of work experience. And people in this window are really fascinating because many times they are doing a thing that they decided to do five or eight or 10 years ago, and they're still doing it. Yeah, And they haven't actually examined why they, they are just still doing it. And maybe the maybe the impetus to ask why has come from an external source. Maybe they just haven't sort of been promoted or they've plateaued or they've gotten bored or they're not inspired. Um, You know, it can be external or it can be internal. But either way, there's oftentimes a question within that window of why am I doing this? do I love doing this? Do I want to do this for another five or eight or 10 years? Yeah. And, and I love coming in, in that window of time to help people explore those options and to figure out, well, why, why are you doing it? I'm sure there was a good reason. Is it still a good reason? Do you want a different answer? What would yeah. that look like? And, and that's, that's the part that just, uh, that really, really keeps me so fascinated and interested in what I do.
1: And when we think about career development, I mean, I just, the thought of spending, you know, eight plus hours thinking, and I mean, I say plus, because You know, rarely do you go home at the end of your job, even like when I worked in customer service, I was like still thinking like, hmm, you know, the next, my next shift, I'm probably going to do this. So I'm spending hours, I'm giving hours to my job, even when I'm not actually in the building. We think about career development, it's like eight plus hours a day. That's a significant part of our waking hours. And if we're not doing something that really like excites us and nourishes us and fuels us that shortens our lifespan. Like that's, that's it's just science. It's just science when you're miserable or you're bored. Actually, boredom is really interesting, especially when, when we start to look at some of the neurological diseases that we're, you know, focusing like dementia and, or like that boredom, right? It's like our brain just is like, eh, I got nothing else to do. So we're just going to start packing. We don't want to do that. We want to keep people engaged. And also our society requires like people to be giving our ideas. And so I think about, companies too, that have not fully developed their uh, employee base, their team base to be active participants, to be, um, you know, engaged and excited about their job. All we have is this endless cycle of burnout and exhaustion. So how can a person who is looking to develop their career kind of say, okay, no, wait, I I need to change, I need to change this. They can either switch their job or I mean, career development also can help happen in the company that you're currently in. How does absolutely. that work? What's that kind of process? I know you work with people to do that to kind of explore what does that look like, even when they're still staying in the company they're in. That's right. That's right. Yeah.
0: It. So you're absolutely right. It can, when you get to that point of sort of questioning or you know realizing that maybe something has to change one way or another, it can be very dramatic. It can be new industry. It can be new role. It can be new all the things. Um, and it can also be very subtle and, and some of that subtlety would be, for example, staying within the same company and, and figuring out what, what the path is to get to a meaningful goal. You know, mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of talk about setting goals for yourself. I don't think there's as much talk
1: about how to set a meaningful goal, mm-hmm. right? Like, a yeah. you know, it's enjoy that- the goal, enjoy the process of getting to the goal oh. too, right? That's you got to get to that goal. But like, how do we still have fun and enjoyment along the way? That's right. That's right. And I was I was actually
0: just uh, sort of LinkedIn chatting on a on a thread about this about outcome versus process. I'm very process oriented, and and I would love it if more people embraced a process orientation. But of course, culturally, we're also very outcome driven, you know. And yeah. and even within resume writing, it's like, what are your metrics? What are the outcomes? But it's you know the the art of it is understanding that. You know talking about the metrics talking about the outcome is actually a way it's it's an opportunity to showcase what the process was in order to get mm-hmm. there. Um metrics and outcome are really just how you display impact yeah. and so uh, helping people understand that there's some industries that are really you know um easy to write a resume for because you have like percent ROI you have you know like you you've got numbers you've got actual yeah. numerics to put to it
1: much, but we forget about the process along the way That's now right. we don't tell enough of these stories we don't talk about the whole team i mean like you said on the resume it's really just what we got to the end i always like to encourage when i help people do resumes because i have a, I have a little, little hobby on the side i help people because I, I love it but it is it it was really do like there's the impact there's the number But what was the experience along the way? And what was your role in that? Like, and how did you, you know, what did you discover about yourself? And I know that seems really strange because we're used to seeing these resumes where it's like, you know, shuffled papers for three years at this place. And it's like, yeah, but what was the shuffling of the papers? What was the what what did you actually do? And how did it make you feel? And what did you love about it? What did you what would you like to make it even better? Put that in your resume, right? Because it's different. And it actually does talk about you as a person, as opposed to just the tasks that you right. did. And we'll talk about that more in the other podcast for being in the room. Cause I think that's a really great focus is like who you are as an employee outside right. of your tasks or the goals you achieve. Right. That's right.
0: Yeah. But to, to get to your, your other question that you asked, which was a great one, how do you, how do you look at changing and your career and being more inspired and having meaningful goals and a meaningful process, what? even in the context of where you are that internal growth within a company can be so impactful and can be so rewarding and I think that that's where talking with someone like me can be very helpful because I'm removed from the situation I'm not a player in the context but I can help you see outside of yourself to understand what strategic moves you might be able to make in -hmm. order to do that and a lot of that looks like mapping out the hierarchy within your organization Mm -hmm about what the values and goals are of your organization and then paying attention to who is who sort of has their finger on the pulse of that and who's calling the shots about it. And then you work out ways to make yourself valuable to those people. And I don't mean that in a transactional way. I mean that in terms of you know saying to yourself, all right, the, these are the values and goals of this organization. I care about this organization and I want to stay in it. You know, what am I offering that's going yeah. to make this move forward? And then how do I put myself in front of the people who are going to recognize it? Yeah. You know, and, and some of that looks like just partnering with with people in the organization. Some of it looks like seeking out really valuable mentorship. I can't tell you how many managers make or break an employee's experience mm-hmm. by virtue of how well or not well they handle being a yeah. manager. And, and I think that finding that mentorship, whether it's in your direct supervisor or other people within the organization is incredibly important if you're interested in staying in that organization.
1: Yeah, I think that mentorship, the cross mentorship is really powerful. I've been in a few positions in my corporate career where I asked to actually be mentored by other uh, lines with the business lines within the organization, partly so that I could just understand even like just learning like what their challenges and obstacles were. I was in a marketing or communications position all the time or a web design position so to be able to understand how to make their their operations or their their day even better was something that allowed me to really stretch my brain but it also allowed me to see different managerial styles and different leadership styles. And I think it's really, and how their team reacts or interacts with those styles is really fascinating and being able to shadow people or to be mentored by other people across the organization. I mean, from an internal communications standpoint, dream, dream, right? And I wish more corporations would actually create structures that allow that to happen easily, because I think it's really powerful when all of your lines of business communicate with each other.
0: 100%, 100%. And, and it's valuable for the employees because it gives them more context, the more context they have for what they do, the more opportunities they have to see what impact their, their piece of work has on everything else the more meaningful they're going to find what they're doing and the more interested they're going to be in working towards a common goal. When you, when you keep people so siloed, so bubbled and just focusing on the task in front of them, that gives them a just too much latitude to get engaged and interested in other things. And, and maybe that's, that's good for them. Maybe that's what's needed. But if you you as a company are interested in retaining good people, You need to give them those growth opportunities. They're going to find them elsewhere if you don't provide them.
1: Yeah. I mean, we talk about nourishing the risk takers and I often reference leaders and, you know, game changers and culture creators. That isn't just the people who are the managers and the directors, like leaders are everybody on the team. And so being able to recognize that you are nourishing the people who are creating the ideas, who are implementing them, who are refining them. That is so important. And if you're a business owner and you're listening to this and you think, oh, I don't have a team right now. You're the employee. You are the team. So start like focusing on how you create an an environment that nourishes you so that when you do add to your team, you're able to recognize where things work and don't work. And if you're listening to this and you're a major corporation really heads up. Okay. Because this is game changing in the industry right now. Like you said, if you want to retain people, if you want to, re- you know, if you want to actually have people be there for longer terms, which you do, you know, to a point, sure. but you want, you want to make sure that people are, because it costs a lot. What was it? You said nine months or something like now it costs nine, months, to of nine months.
0: of Someone's salary to lose them and have to hire and retrain a new person for that role. You, you know, so we're looking at ninety, hundred and
1: twenty thousand dollars per person that you could be losing uh, in your, and not in. That's just like that's just for the recruiting and the onboarding process. That isn't even your impact to your bottom line because you everybody else is trying to shuffle and, and take over a position that is suddenly vacant. So there's a lot of impact into that. Plus, you're missing their great ideas, right? They've now gone to your competitor and they're bringing their great ideas there. So the there's a ripple effect there. So yeah. if you're in. A, yeah. So if you're in that corporation, this is it. we got to start listening to people like Joa who are really saying, here's the thing. So, so you're helping people, you know, by your activism, you're helping people become more in control of their career, um, creating the work environments that, that really allow them to thrive. But you're also creating that activism in corporations, in businesses to say, OK, I got to change the way we have to stop exploiting our resources and actually nourishing and developing them. That's right. That's right. And, and in fact, the ripple effect that you just described goes even further,
0: you know, like, yes, you lose that one person. Yes, there's the cost of, you know, rehiring and onboarding a new person, but there's also, and then the potential of like losing that person's skills to a competitor. There's also the contagion effect, because if that, if you have lost somebody who has had an incredible impact on the people who they interact with, they're moving can inform other people that that is an option. There is nothing like seeing someone do it to make you believe you can do it too. And so you all of a sudden run the risk of losing all of the good people in a department, not just one good person in the department. Because the number one way that people network and think about where they might go, when I ask them, what what else could you do? What else might you want to do? The number one thing that people look to,
1: for examples, is people they know who have made the exact change they're thinking about doing. Absolutely. And companies are now getting wise when they find really great talent. They're like, who else in your department should we be looking at inviting over here? Because, you you know, people are like, yeah, actually, I really worked well with this other person. We worked really well together. I would love to have them on this team because I think they would thrive here. Boom. You know, it's done. It's done. It's happening. I've, I see it happen on a monthly basis. I see it happen on a monthly
0: basis. If you're a company and you are worried about experiencing that, you need to figure out how to prevent it. You need to be proactive about preventing it.
1: Yeah. And even now it's already reactive, right? It's already too late to be proactive. Now you can be reactive and then you have to build a really five to 10 years from now, because that's the reality of corporate structure and change is that a bigger corporations, the bigger you are, the slower it is to turn. And, but it is the higher it is to churn. So that's, you know, like these are things that we used to say in corporations. It's like in communications, it was like, listen, we're losing all of our people. We need to move. And like, it's just so slow In smaller businesses, I think there's a lot more, small and medium businesses, there's a lot more opportunity to create change really quickly. So it's like you might be looking at things that are changing in two or three years, but the reality is that's what you're looking at right now. So the implementation that you're doing, even though you think it's some big change, it's really not going to see that result until a couple of years down the road because... It's just, that's just the way that change happens, change management happens. So let's talk about more nourishing. So what does it actually mean to nourish yourself, both as an employee, as somebody who's working on their career development, um, but also as you're planning out your career development even farther? What does that look like to nourish?
0: Yeah. Oftentimes it looks like seeking out help in one form or fashion, And help can look a lot of different ways, you know, it can look like uh, resources, it can look like community, it can look like uh, mentorship, it can look like championship, you know, there's a there's a thing going around LinkedIn right now, like you don't need a mentor, you need a champion, you don't need someone who's going to sort of passively like, mentor, you You need someone who's going to like push and push for you. Right. Um, Into spaces where you need to be in order to to have the growth that you want to have, to have the impact you want to have. So I think that um, it it all comes down to recognizing that you can't do it alone. Right. Like nourishment comes from external places. Mm -hmm. We have to make the choice to incorporate it into our lives. Um, It can look like hiring someone like me. It can look like um, talking with peer, peer groups about what they're doing for their career growth. Um, it can look all of these different ways and and it should look all of these different ways is, is the follow up to that. It should not be just one thing. We, we all need a diverse sort of spectrum of nourishment in order to be able to do what we need to do.
1: And one of the things that we've discussed that I really love on the nourishment, especially what you do with folks is, is really coming to someone like Joa before, it really hurts. So I think what a lot of people do is they'll try and hire someone to help them, you know, with the interview and the resume, but really you need someone like, even when you just start to feel a little uncomfortable, like, or just, or just a little bit like hmm, maybe there's something else because then you can really define and experiment with different industries, different pivots, bringing your skill set to maybe a completely different focus um, mm-hmm. by giving yourself that time. And maybe you even do, you work with people like Joa uh, or Joa specifically specifically when things are really good because then you can also make sure that you're always developing your career when you're feeling good as opposed to waiting until you're really burnt out to do so and then we've talked about the career development that happens right after you get a job right so it's like okay thanks joa i got the most you know the best job ever thanks you did a good job and then goodbye well no Right. It's that first three, six, nine months that you're in a position that really can define your future in that in that industry, in that company. So talk to me about that, about what it's like to work with you after you get the job. That's
0: right. So I will say that. This, um, this way of, of approaching it, of sort of having support through the job acquisition, if you will, um, and then continuing with the support after is particularly important for certain groups of people. Certain groups of people are going to sound like a real broad spectrum when I say this out loud, but it's very good for people who have been in toxic work environments in the past. And unfortunately, the nature of capitalism and our sort of the way we structure work and employment, almost everybody checks that box. Mm -hmm. But the reason why it's important is because the first 30, 60, 90 days ideally are about you weaving yourself into the fabric of what you're doing at your job, which means you're building all of those internal support pieces. You're finding Mm -hmm. the mentors, you're working with the supervisor, you're going through the onboarding process, which hopefully is robust and does what it needs to do. Other story, because many of them don't. Um, But having someone like me Again, it's that I'm not part of the system, I'm external. I'm a safe place to be able to play out and soundboard and work strategically on what is happening without feeling like you have to put it all on the line in order to seek out that help. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, sort of this myth of like bootstrapping and individualism tells us that we're supposed to be able to do it all ourselves. I have a lot of clients who really struggle Being able to ask for help, even when that's like literally the objective of your first 30 days is to ask for help and training and get support to learn. I have I have clients who are sometimes actually terrified to do that. They they become completely paralyzed and then they're much more likely to bottom out in the first 90 days. It's not because they didn't have the skills. It's not because they weren't able to do the work. It's not because they wouldn't have been an incredible asset to the company. It's because they cannot integrate into that system. And so working with someone like me gives an opportunity to just breathe, have Mm -hmm. the breathing space to be able to reflect on it, to hear the words out loud, to sort of practice and template out what it looks like to, to go through these steps even people who are 10 or 12 years into their career sometimes have never integrated functionally into a work space wow. before and and it's it's a terrible thing because of course do they have incredible skills yes but these skills have sort of been built traumatically right and and wow. what they need is to detoxify what has happened especially especially when they find the place that is not toxic That's usually like it. people feel like it's the golden ticket. They're like, oh, the place isn't toxic. So I'll be okay. But if you're bringing years of learned behavior to toxicity into that, it's still going to be so hard. Sometimes it's even harder because it's interrupting all of those patterns you have in how you approach your work, how you think of your professionalism, how you hold your own experience.
1: So it's not just career development, it's personal development as well.
0: That's right. That's right. And, and that really ties into my philosophy. You know, you, you talked about how I sort of have an activism approach and that meaning making piece, you know, I, I believe that we, we bring our whole selves to work and there's a lot of different ways that, you know, people mask or people leave parts of their self outside of work, but your whole body is there you know, one way or another. And even if you're leaving parts of it, you know, sort of in the back seat, still in the car with you. Right. And so I think that it's incredibly interconnected and, and, and people who understand that interconnection, uh, are the people who I love to work with, because we, if we want to have impact, if we want to make these major changes that are so critical, in our world right now. I mean, our world is in pretty dire crisis in a lot of different ways. We need people who are bringing their whole selves. That
1: mm-hmm. means
0: all of their creativity, all of their inspiration, all of their skills, all of their experiences. We need that holistic, all hands on deck if we're going to be able to have any hope of making making changes in these critical ways.
1: Yeah. I remember hearing somebody one time saying, oh, I don't want to give my my best ideas to that company because it's somebody else's company. And all this and I thought oh no like first of all it it sounds like you know we only have a certain amount of great ideas uh and it's like and I'm not giving them to you uh but the other side of it was that oh they didn't have a company where they felt like they could be a part of those great ideas and developing them and bringing them in and creating a difference in that industry that they were in and I get where you know that comes from again capitalism burnout exhaustion and like just not being appreciated or respected or nourished within that company. But I just, it was like the saddest thing. It'll always echo in my head because I thought, oh no, like that is like my worst fear. As I bring people on in my team uh, for the catalyst, I want people who are actively like, you know, what would make this really good. And I was like, yeah, yeah, let's hear it. I want that. Right. And I want them to have that ownership and then be able to see their idea come to life and then create impact because that's a, that becomes this communal mission it becomes a communal impact I don't want to steal their ideas and then them be like oh sorry those are mine you you developed them on company time like that stuff is horrible but it's actually like being able to be an active participant to see your ideas to experiment to try them out that's right. I think that's the best thing for me as a company uh to be able to have a team that feels open to doing that
0: yeah. And, and, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm sort of transfixed by alternative business models. You know, I think that what you're talking about that sort of, Oh, I don't want to give my idea away. First of all, it comes from a scarcity mindset. Like you mentioned, Absolutely. like that, there, the ideas will run out. You only get a certain number. And so you can't yeah. give them away. That's not, that's not how it works. Of no. course we know no. that. Um, And, and abundance, you know, seeing, seeing that a good idea multiplies more good ideas is, you know, that's the, that's the aha moment that we hope to get more people to. But the other part of that is like within our within our capitalist system, within a really strictly hierarchical corporation, um, you know there is that sort of idea of ownership and proprietary information and what is the dollar value of the thing that's coming out of my mouth and who is reaping the reward of that dollar value? And alternative business models, you know, cooperatives, places where, you know, employees can feel like there's decentralized power, that that they have an ability to contribute in a way that is going to benefit them tangi- ta- tangibly, that's the word, tangibly at the end of the day, um, that just allows more of that breathing room, that space to feel free to let those ideas come out to play um, and and have that be something that is mutually beneficial, literally, financially, all the way across
1: the board. Absolutely. So we're coming to that time in the podcast, and I gave you a heads up this time. But, you know, i like to know, how do you nourish yourself? You're a business owner, you're a mom of two businesses, a mom, a partner, you know, a person out in the world, you have family, you're a caregiver. How Mm -hmm. does nourishment fit into that?
0: Yeah, boy, you know, I, I wish that I had a great answer. And on the other hand, I don't wish that I had a great answer. I'm surprised
1: answer. you didn't say I had vegetables yesterday and I drank water because that was, we That's celebrated that, right? That's true. We
0: did celebrate that in the workroom last night. Um, I did so many healthy things yesterday. I exercised, I talked to my therapist, I drank water, I ate vegetables And like at 830, after the four-year-old got put to bed, I was like, I'm screaming across the finish line. Everything's amazing. Right. And so like, there are those days that, that feel like, oh yeah, I checked the boxes. I did the thing. And there are days where I don't ask for help. You know, I, I've had major family crises where I have just not talked to anybody about it for weeks because. I just sort of can't go there and I get paralyzed. So, you know, I'm, I'm modeling because I think that's really important that, you know, it's a work in progress. We oftentimes figure out how to nourish ourselves when we've already hit malnourishment. And what I, what I hope for myself and for the people who I interact with is that I'm creating a space for it not to get to that point to, to be more proactive about it and to have grace for ourselves when We don't nail it when it isn't like the water exercise therapy, (laughs) vegetable day, you know, like not all days are like that. That's, that's unfortunately the reality. Um, But that doesn't mean that tomorrow isn't another opportunity for it. So um, the other thing too, you mentioned that I was like number two into the catalyst. I think, you know, I've always felt very strongly that community is one of the number one ways to be supported just across the board. And, and that, that it probably even predates my psychology training, but I was lucky enough to attend a master's program that was very community oriented and I had great community support. It was modeled to me. It was, you know, accessible to me. I part, you know, I participated in creating it, um, with other people, I had an amazing peer support group that I joined immediately after graduation people in my cohort. We were all going to different agencies to do therapeutic work and we recognized the value of that community space, that soundboard space, that holding container outside of, you know yeah. our professional selves. Yeah. Um, and we met we met monthly for for years. and it was one of the most pivotal pieces of my career development even aside from the fact that I'm not an active therapist now it still is something that really formed who I am professionally and and when I saw when I saw you start posting about this idea of the community support for the catalyst it felt like it was going to be the the sort of level up version of that that I needed for what I was doing with my business growth
1: yeah i mean we we really do kind of blend this like growth, you know, strategy with the whole support. I think one of the things that I, the reason why I started was because we talked about psychology, but I was in Facebook groups and I could see where people weren't allowed to be their whole selves showing Uh up. So it's like, you're in a business group. I'm sorry, you're going through something, but that's, it's not really appropriate here. And Uh it's like, what? Like I'm a business owner. This pays my bills everything that happens in my life can like impact my success as a business owner. And when we start to fractal, like bringing people apart and it's like, you can only show up here like this and I can see this in corporations too, right? It's like, you, like you, you're having personal issues. You're not allowed to bring them as opposed to having this open conversation. Like this week, I'm not going to be my best self. I'm going through a major, you know, somebody's passed away the three day, the three day bereavement of a close personal, like your child, your spouse died and they give you three days. What? Like that doesn't even, how do you come back and be, you know, a productive member, but we don't have those conversations. We don't say, listen, right now my energy, I haven't slept in a week. We, I have, I'm not going to be my best self. Well, when you're running a business, it's really hard to do that because you really do have these instances? I remember during the panorama that you know I, a, a colleague of mine called me from the hospital. She's mm. like, but she's like, I'm about to go on a ventilator. I I have some clients that are. I, she's like, can you just help me with, with a script? I can't focus and I need to tell them that there is the potential that I don't come off the ventilator, but that their accounts will still be taken care of. And I was like, is this happening? Right? Yes, absolutely. And I was like, yes, absolutely. I will write this for you. Like, we'll get this out. And then I was like, do I need to, do you need to give me your account access? Like, I'll make sure that they're all running. Right. But this is a, this is the reality. She's from the hospital. Right. The doctor's standing there waiting to put on the ventilation and, and she's just getting these last minute things going. And I thought, wow, like we need communities where we can actually step in and, and say, okay, you're going through something. Here's how we can help. Here's how we can do this. And that's what we're trying to foster in there. And you've seen that, like how, you've seen it where people are just like, I'm in the, I'm in the moment. I, I, I don't know what to do. I can't even write an email and it's For like, sure. no problem. Let's do it. Like, that's, let's just do it. That's
0: right. That's right. And it's, it's literally life-changing and I've seen it be life-changing and it's, It's life changing in those moments where you've like hit the wall and you're like, I can't and I need. Um, But also I was just I was in the workroom right before I popped onto this interview and I was talking with Biba. And, um, you know, we were talking about how critical it is when you are a service provider, when you are literally providing a service, you are being in service of someone else the absolute essential prerequisite of filling yourself up, making sure that you are whole and present when you are in service of someone else, because the depletion is real.
1: Yeah. You know, like
0: I, yeah, I, I, I I format resumes. Right. But I am also there in service of someone else to hear the stories of their last workplace trauma of the toxicity to celebrate the successes to help them even put words to things that they have accomplished that they have never put words to before, Mm, right? It's a full energetic interaction. And if you aren't drinking your water and eating your vegetables and exercising and talking to your therapist, you know, if you're not doing the things to support yourself going into that, you are doing a disservice to yourself and to the person who has come to you.
1: Yeah. And doing it when things are, when times are good, I always tell the story of like them, my friend was going through massage therapy and they basically said that the lifespan, a career span of a massage therapist is about 12 years because it's just such a physical impact on the body. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's because we only go to massage therapists when we are sore and our muscles are all locked up. Imagine if we go to massage therapists when our muscles are limber and we keep going, that's going to be less wear and tear on their body. So we think about these ripple effects of burning ourselves out and exhausting ourselves out. Have Impact not just on our own lives, but anybody that we work with, our service, our our support system. It has an effect. So it's like we wait until we're totally burnt out to go see the therapist. Guess what? The therapist then has to like, it's like, really? Like we're here again. I mean, they're not going to say that, but you know that it takes a toll on them. We see that's a right. lot of burnout with therapists because they're only hearing the bad shit. What if we actually came and brought them like good stuff and said, hey, how can we make this even better? Well, that's going to have a ripple effect on their own career. So it's really thinking Absolutely. about
0: that. Absolutely. And, and you know, I think that that's really in line with one of the things that I, that I work with, you know, for clients, oftentimes people are running from a burning building, right? They're like, I gotta get out of this job. I gotta get out of this organization, like this is terrible. But you often run the risk of running into another burning building if what you're doing is running out of a burning building, right, yeah. so like, rather than running from something, what are you running towards? And And I think that it's a whole lot easier to envision that when you're not, when you haven't just come out of the flames.
1: Right.
0: So so doing it, you know, doing it when times are good, thinking about like what would make this even better. Right. It's okay to get support for that, you know, And, and I think that culturally we're not good enough about owning our successes and achievements and celebrating it. But like the celebration looks like how do you make it even better? Right. Like bask in it for sure. Bask in it. It's not like a it's not a churn, churn, churn kind of pressure, but like bask in it and grow it like make yeah. it be even better.
1: Yeah. So is it easy for you to ask for help?
0: No. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not, you know, and I there's a lot of reasons for that um which, you know, I'm not going to talk about here, but um no, it's not it's not easy to ask for help, but here's what I'll say about it. It's a muscle that you strengthen. And mm-hmm. so you have to arrive at the moment of being like Oh, I have that muscle group. I could strengthen it. Like you have to get there first. And yeah. then you can build out the plan to strengthen it. Right. Yeah. And that looks like leaning into community. That looks like watching what other people are doing. That looks like when you're, you know, to a point where you can start sharing it out loud, it looks like modeling it for other people. So that that way there's not this illusion. I mean, I I talk with other business owners about this. There's this illusion that like solopreneurs are like these mythical beings who have done all the things by themselves. Like meanwhile, they've like hired ghostwriters. And like, I mean, like the list goes on of like the support that they've actually, you know, used in order to get there, which is great, but they don't talk about it. So it, it promotes this idea to everybody from the outside looking in that like, You should just be able to do it yourself. Like that's what solopreneuring is. No, it's not what solopreneuring is.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, So along those lines too, um, the other muscle you mentioned, so we strengthen our muscle, but the other muscle that supports that is our ability to receive nourishment, to receive help. What's that like for you when you are receiving nourishment? Yeah.
0: I mean, the thing about it is, you know, I think... I'll speak from my personal experience. You know, my resistance to asking for help is often a control issue. It's because Mm. I want to be in control. And if I ask for help, I have this misassumption that I am no longer in control.
1: Mm. But
0: conversely, when I do ask for help, it actually feels like an incredible, like relaxation of that tension, because Mm. even though part of me wants to be in control, the opportunity to not have to be in control is like, like it's 10 massages, right? It's like, Oh my God, I don't have to be in control. And I don't know if it's like life stage or just time that has passed or age, but I, something has shifted in me where I don't feel like I even want to hold all that control. The pressure is too high. And, and, you know, when we look at this in a parallel parallel process right like no one person should have to be the whole thing right like we need to we need to decentralize no one person should be holding all the things that client that you had who was going to be put on the ventilator like there, there needs to be people who can step into that role seamlessly if something happens to her, because if we can't take vacation, if we can't have a family emergency, if we can't be missing for a day and, it, and then it all falls apart when we're not there, then what are we even doing, right? Mm-hmm. Like no one person needs that. So, so understanding that, seeing that through the eyes of people I work with as well has really helped me understand and feel differently about asking for help and both and then receiving help
1: yeah one of the best things i think i did early on when i started to see the oh oh, the catalyst is something that is pretty valuable was doing some continuity planning so that if something were to happen to me, that the space keeps going on. And it's, it was one of those things where it took a lot of weight off of my shoulders, knowing that the plan was in place and that, um, I had the legal requirements and all that kind of stuff to happen in in that I, you know, it, it, it was like, that was also being nourished. That was also supporting myself in a way that, you know, allows what I'm building here to keep going.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember hearing you talk about that and it was it, like, it felt like a categorical shift for you. Um, and and I think that that's a, a beautiful example of how, even though we want to be like, many of us want to be sort of like, you know, the unique one, the special one, the one who keeps it all together. Like, no, because if you fall down on that job for any reason, like then what? Nobody wants the then what, right? It's easy yeah. to want it when it's all sunshine, but the then what is what you have to consider and, and cooperatives, collectives, decentralizing is, is really where it's at for us to all be healthier and more whole.
1: I love it. Well, we're coming to the end of our podcast time. Is there anything you would like people to know about how to work with you, where they can find you? I'll put your LinkedIn link up here. um, But just tell us a little bit about how they can work with you and find you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely find me on LinkedIn. I love connecting with people. Feel free to follow if you're shy and you don't want to connect, but I, I say yes to connection. Send me a note. Tell me about yourself. Um, if you'd like to work with me, you can book a discovery call. Uh, the work that I do, you may have come to understand through this conversation is is pretty deeply personal. And I think that it's very important to do this with someone who's a good fit. So I, I always do discovery calls free of charge to start with so that we can really get to know each other a little bit and, and understand what I might be able to do to help support and whether it's a good fit. Um, and from there, I do, I do one-on-one uh, consultations with people um, that can look like one-offs and it can also look like longer term packages to support job search, job growth, career development, and even after the job acquisition into the, the getting to know you phase of the 30, 60, 90 days.
1: I love it. And I just want to recognize you, Joa. this often makes me cry, but I just, I really think you're a fantastic person. Of course you did a huge thing for me because I didn't know you. And it was like the second person that bought into the idea of the castle. I'm like, who is this person? I don't know. Oh my gosh. They believe in me. And it, to have that person, like to not have such a strong connection beforehand, and then to see you go through some incredible obstacles and opportunities in growing your business and building the ideas and the connections and the colleagues. I often will tell people about the incredible relationship that you built with another Catalyst member and how you work together and create these opportunities, even though you're in the same niche, is to be able to say, we don't believe in in competition. We're in collaboration. We're in cahoots. We're creating a movement, a change in the industry. And I think you know, you as a person, the way you show up and you do that and you, just give yourself so fully and you give like I said earlier, so much love that you bring into that room that you can definitely see the impact on people, even when, you know, they don't work with you directly in their career. You definitely are a ripple maker. The stuff that you create, the, how you show up, how you love is definitely creating these impacts that we won't even be able to measure because it's going out and it's being reflected in all the people that you interact. So I want to thank you so much for being a part of the catalyst. You are a fantastic, uh, uh, member, and I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for being in that space. You're making me a better person. You're making me a better, you know, business owner. And even I always think about my career now. I think about it. You know, it's not just a business owner; it's a career. It's really career development. I'm continuing my career development, even though I'm not an employee. I am an employee in my business and I'm, I'm looking at those practices and that's because of you and your influence. So thank you for being that person in my life. And I just really appreciate you. And I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're in the world um, and I get to get to know you. So thank you very much for being there. Marisa, thank you so much. It means so much to me
0: to hear you say that. And I'm I'm so delighted to be part of this community with you.
1: Thank you for listening to Nourish the Risk Takers, a podcast where asking for help becomes easier and receiving the help becomes life-changing. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to our mailing list at createtherules.com to get notified when the next interview is released. Follow us on all socials at Create the Rules for in-between insights, talkbacks, and more. Thank you for being here.